Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So one question that a lot of people might have is, is the Beartooth Highway scary to drive? And to that, I would say only if Karen Smith is driving. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> then it becomes a white knuckle drive. We can put that on our white knuckle drive episode. It's a white knuckle drive for everyone in the car and anyone driving anywhere near our car in any direction. <laughs> that is not true. I have a spotless driving record. Just some random strange things happen when you are sitting in the passenger seat next to me. You hit a canoe <laughs> on the highway driving 70 miles an hour okay. in traffic. That's one of the random things that happens. Okay, So this is why it's a white knuckle drive. <laughs> This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, stories from our journey to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Karen Smith. And I'm Matt Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. It seems fitting that a road built 90 years ago to take travelers to and from Yellowstone National Park would be as spectacular as the park itself. Since its completion in 1936, the Beartooth Highway has wowed countless visitors with its jaw-dropping views of one of the most rugged and wild areas in the lower 48 states. Named the most beautiful roadway in America by Charles Curalt, this scenic byway is also called the Highway to the Sky as it climbs to almost 11,000 feet at Beartooth Pass. Today, we're taking you on a road trip to explore this man-made wonder as it switchbacks its way through two states and three national forests. We'll talk about what to see and do, how much time to budget for the drive, and describe the towns that are located at either end. Plus, a little history channel coming your way. Stay tuned. All right, before we get started... We have an update regarding episode number 118, Where the Bison Roam. That came out a few weeks ago. We do. Now, we mentioned on this episode, we talked about the bison range in Montana and how there was a rare white bison who lived there. His name was Big Medicine, or they called him Whitey for short. And when Whitey died in the 1950s, um, the state of Montana had him stuffed and sent him to the State Museum in Helena. Right. And we made a comment on our episode that, you know, they should probably bring Whitey back to the bison range from Helena, where he's sitting in the second floor hallway. <laughs> he belongs back on the range. So we made that suggestion. 
And then what happened, Karen? Well, then come to find out they are moving Whitey back to the bison range. And it's so appropriate because recently we also talked about how the bison range is now managed by the local Native American tribes. And so Whitey is going to be making his journey from Helena back to the bison range where he came from and where he belongs. And I hear that they're going to lash him to the wagons (laughs) and take him... Take him from Helena to the bison range in a wagon. No, no, there will be no lashing of Whitey. In fact, they're going to have to be really careful because Whitey looks a little fragile. Well, I mean, he's pretty old by now. They need to scrub him down a little bit, I think. Yeah, clean him up a little bit, dust him off. Anyway, we're really happy to hear that. Now we'd like to take credit for that and say that it happened because of our podcast. Of course, it didn't. Oh, it didn't? No, this has been in the works for, I think, about six months now. So not sure when it's going to happen, but future visitors to the Bison Range in Montana to that nice visitor center will get to see Whitey, probably front and center where he belongs. Yeah, yeah, front and back and around the sides. That's right. He's a big one. Yeah, so we had that update for you. We also uh, just want to talk about on our road trip, we had many bison sightings. Yes, we just got back from a 12-day road trip. Uh, where we saw a lot of bison. We went to um, Teddy Roosevelt National Park, Wind Cave National Park, Custer State Park, Badlands National Park, Fort Niobrara in Nebraska. And of course, we finished um, the grand finale was driving through Yellowstone on our way home. But this might have been, I think this trip, we had the best bison sightings we've ever had. They seemed to be out. They were, and they were by the road. They were by the road. Yeah. A lot of them uh, with their babies close to the road, walking slowly so you could roll the window down. I liked it that they were snorting at you when you were trying to video them. <laughs> Lots of snorting. There was one point when we were in Teddy Roosevelt National Park and we were along that scenic drive and traffic had stopped because there were bison on the road. And so obviously we stopped too, but the bison were kind of almost trapped on the road in this very narrow section of the road that has guardrails and and a little bit of a steep drop off on either side. So as they were coming towards us, and there were some babies too, we actually were, I was worried anyway, they looked like they felt trapped. Well, yeah, but sometimes they do it to themselves. You, When you're coming along a park road and you stop because there's bison up, up ahead, sometimes you just stop and then they walk towards the car. They want to go from point A to point B, and they walk past. So it wasn't like cars were trapping them against a guardrail or anything like that. A lot of the cars were just stopped, and then they were walking. You don't want to drive past them while that's going on, because then, yes, they feel like you're kind of coming at them. But if you just stop and park and roll the windows down, it's a lot of fun, because then a lot of times they'll just they'll all walk right past your vehicle. Yeah, and they were close by, boy, like right outside the window. One more thing I wanted to mention when we were hiking in, in Teddy Roosevelt, we hiked from the Petrified Forest 
almost all the way to the Little Missouri River. It was a, a long hike. And there was one point when we were hiking back where you go through this kind of rocky chute and the trail is very narrow. And on one side, there's a cliff and on another side, there's a drop off. And as we were climbing up, I was in front of you, man, and all of a sudden this massive <laughs> bison is making his way towards us. And all I saw was this giant head. Yeah, he was meandering towards us. Yes. And had we not looked up, we would have gotten very close to him before we realized. I'm sure it must have looked like a comedy show because we started running backwards to get out of his way to the bottom of this kind of restricted area. And we could only get so far off the trail. We kind of stood behind some rocks and we knew he was coming and he was going to come right past us within about, what, maybe 10 feet or so? Yeah, he walked right past us. He didn't seem bothered, but... uh... Uh, the only way to get further away from him, we would have to jump off a cliff <laughs> right. to, to get away from him. So that was kind of fun, but also nerve wracking. Yeah, it's one of those things that is terrifying at the time, but when it's over and you live through it and you're unscathed, <laughs> then it becomes kind of thrilling. <laughs> yeah, we were unscathed. <laughs> Anyway, we had such a great trip, lots of great bison sightings, and it was fun to revisit a few of these places that we hadn't been to in a few years. And that brings us to today's topic on this road trip. Uh, the last day before we started for home, we ended up in Yellowstone National Park and exiting through the northeast entrance of, of the park and driving the Beartooth Highway to Red Lodge. And what was so cool about this, we've, we've driven this stretch of road before, it had opened two days earlier. That's right. Now, this had not been on our original itinerary when we planned this trip. We left the last couple of days open because we weren't sure what the weather was going to be like. And and it, this is Memorial Day weekend, so we kind of wanted to avoid the crowds. But anyway, when we found out that the Beartooth Highway had opened Friday before Memorial Day weekend, like they typically try to do, we decided we could not pass that up. So we drove up through Grand Teton, through Yellowstone, out the Lamar Valley, and up the Beartooth Highway. And it was really fun to see it with that much snow. Yeah, there's a lot of snow. We've, Like I said, we've driven it several times before, twice in July and once in September. But this is the earliest we've ever driven. It's about the earliest you can drive it because, like we said, it just opened. Yeah, and there was a ton of snow right by the roadways. The lakes were all still frozen over. A lot of snow and ice, and and some of the snow had blown away off of the ice on the lakes, and of course, where that happened, it was like this turquoise-colored ice, so it, that was really cool to see. It's such a beautiful drive. Now, if you're not familiar with that, we'll kind of explain what it is and where it is. Now, back in June of 2002, the Federal Highway Administration designated a large part of this Beartooth Highway as an all-American road because of the corridor's historical, cultural, and scenic significance. So exactly where is this highway? It's a 68-mile stretch of U.S. Highway 212 that runs between the town of Red Lodge, Montana, and Cook City, Montana. That's right. And even though it starts in a town in Montana and it ends in a town in Montana, a large portion of it is actually in Wyoming. So you cross the state line as you're zigzagging your way up. And it rises from about 5,000 feet to almost 11,000 feet at Beartooth Pass. 
Yeah, and there is a sign at the pass that shows, you know, you're at the top and the elevation. And the reason I say this is there's a couple of times on the road where you feel like, well, this must be the top, but it just keeps going up and up and up. And, and you'll see the sign when you reach the top. Right. And there's a parking area where you can pull over and you will probably see a lot of people out of their cars and taking photos of themselves at this uh, Beartooth Pass sign, which, of course, we had to do also. <laughs> That's right. Sometimes there's a lineup <laughs> yes. to, to take your selfie in right. front of the sign. Especially yeah. on uh, Memorial Day weekend. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you are driving this let's say, west to east, so you're starting at Cook City and going to Red Lodge, you will also pass a turnoff for Chief Joseph Scenic Byway. I know that on the outline here, it says St. Joseph <laughs> Scenic Byway. That must be another byway that I'm unfamiliar with here. The St. Joseph Scenic Byway is... That's that's in another place, isn't it? That's somewhere else. This is the Chief Joseph Scenic Byway. I don't know who did this outline. Somebody somebody messed but, up on that one. But we should pause for a second because that that in and of itself is a great drive to do. It's amazing uh, scenic drive, and you go from that turnoff that's on the Beartooth Highway to the south to the town of Cody. Right. Yeah. So separate scenic byway, definitely worth doing. Also. Right. Now, this this is not a National Park Service site, but it's interesting because the Montana Department of Transportation is responsible for maintaining the highway from Red Lodge to the Montana-Wyoming border. But then the National Park Service takes over the maintenance responsibilities through Wyoming back into Montana and into Yellowstone National Park. So it's not an NPS site. It's actually part of three different national forests, Custer, Shoshone, and Gallatin. Yeah, that's interesting that it's not in the National Park Service, but they have responsibility for this road. And when you're up there, it, it feels like you're in a national park. It absolutely does. In fact, it reminds us a lot of Trail Ridge Road in Rocky Mountain National Park. It kind of has that same feel where you go from a forested area and you climb up and then you're on this plateau with these alpine meadows. It's really hard to describe the view from up there because when you get to the top of the road, first of all, it's a 360 view and there are so many mountain ranges in and around that, that part of the country Really, any time of the year you're up there, there's going to be snow on the mountains. So it just gives you this uh, really spectacular view of the mountain ranges. And I read that there are over 900 alpine lakes up there. And you can see some of them as you make your way up and over and back down. It's just dotted with these beautiful little alpine lakes. So I definitely think it's national park worthy. I think a lot of people don't know about this because it's not in a park. You know, everyone wants to drive the going to the Sun Road and Glacier National Park. I think this is every bit of spectacular. Oh, absolutely. And you don't need a permit to do it. Right. Um, now, it's not open all year round. So that's something to keep in mind. It's generally open from the Friday of Memorial Day weekend through mid-October and even during that period, it could be closed from time to time for them to plow the snow because it, it can still get snow during that time. I think there was there was one summer a few years ago where they opened it for Memorial Day weekend, and then they had so much snow that they had to close it again. And I don't think it reopened again until around July 4th weekend. So the weather is extremely unpredictable up there, um, as you can imagine. Okay. 
So Matt, I was going to give you a pop quiz, but I figured you already knew the answer to this. Why is it called Beartooth Highway, Beartooth Pass? Where does the word Beartooth come from? Beartooth Mountain is one of the mountains in the Beartooth Range, and there's a spire that rises from its east ridge that's similar in shape to a bear's tooth. It's thought that this name originally came from the Crow Indians. And you can see the Bear's Tooth Spire from the Bear Tooth Highway. If you're watching for it, you'll see a sign along the road that says Bear Tooth and this um, spire-looking Bear Tooth. <laughs> the Bear Tooth? And this uh, Bear Tooth-looking spire is off in the distance. You can see it. It's not huge, but you can see it. Now, another thing we saw when we were driving the Beartooth Highway last weekend, we were actually shocked when we got to the top, a little bit past the top, and we saw this giant RV up there. And I mean giant. We did see a giant RV approaching the top of the mountain. You know, when you get to the top, there's probably a good, I don't know, four or five mile stretch where the turns are pretty tight. Yes. And by tight, we mean there's a mountain on one side and there's a drop off on the other. So there's not room to kind of move over for your neighbor if you're driving a huge RV. So I wouldn't recommend going up over the Beartooth Pass in a big RV. I wouldn't either. Now, there is no legal posted maximum length limit for RVs, you know, traveling the Beartooth Highway. However, they do have some signs posted that recommend that vehicles over 40 feet in length not be taken on the road. So that's a recommendation. It's not a law. However, I was looking at some RV forums online, and the general consensus among RV owners is that it's not a good idea to drive this road. As one person said, you can do it, but you will not have fun doing it. <laughs> you will not have fun. <laughs> Certainly, if you came across another RV on one of those turns, you definitely couldn't do it. No. We were in a fairly small sedan when we drove it. We didn't take the truck on this trip. And there were times where it was tight for our little car. Yes. So I, I can't imagine a, a, a large RV doing that. We don't want to tell people not to do things, but uh, it, it's kind of tight up there in places. Now, I tell you who does do this road trip often and loves it are motorcyclists. This is one of the most popular scenic drives for motorcycle riders. Yeah, and you once you're up there, you can see why. If I had a motorcycle, I, I would definitely do this. Absolutely. This is like made for motorcyclists. Okay, Matt, guess what it's time for? Um, is it time for the Geology Channel? Well, <laughs> did you prepare something? No. <laughs> <laughs> then it's not. How about a little History Channel? Okay, give it to us. Okay. All right, so... Like most places in this country, indigenous people traveled through the mountain range for at least 12,000 years before early explorers, trappers, and miners followed suit. Now, in August of 1872, the pass was crossed by Civil War General Philip Sheridan and 120 men who were returning from an inspection tour of Yellowstone National Park. Instead of taking the long detour to return to Billings, Sheridan took the advice 
of an old hunter named Shuki Greer, who claimed to know of a shortcut through the Beartooth Mountains. Now, wait, 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 wait. Okay. So some guy is going to say, hey, I know a way over the mountains. Just follow me. It's like, oh, yeah, let's just. Let's just go follow this guy. I know. They were a lot hardier back then than we are. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much all humans at any time in history are hardier than we are right now. Right, right. But but yes, back then they were as as well. And they they just were very trusting, clearly. And clearly they made it. They did did make it. We we appreciate it because then it led eventually to the construction of this highway. But anyway, I, I just think that's odd that somebody's Mm -hmm. like hey i know a shortcut follow me and a general a decorated general and his 120 men just went they went yeah they went and so side history channel here about general sheridan i just wanted to mention because this is very important he is credited for saving yellowstone national park from prospectors and loggers vandals hunters and developers In 1883, he was the top general in the army at the time, and he ordered the cavalry to the rescue. Uh, In 1886, Troop M of the 1st Cavalry Regiment rode into Yellowstone and began to enforce park regulations and arrest lawbreakers. And they put an end to the illegal hunting, mining, deforestation, and the vandalism that was going on in the park. This cavalry unit also built some of the early infrastructures, including roads and trails. And this is all because of General Sheridan. So we're now doing uh, side history channels. Sorry. History side channels. <laughs> what is this? Do you know how history? many side history channels I could branch off into if I had the time? <laughs> yeah, uh, unfortunately, I do. Yeah, yes. I, I have a inkling. <laughs> so many great stories. But I just wanted to point out how important, you know, he didn't just go through the pass. He was instrumental in saving Yellowstone. Okay. Okay, so but, we're going back to the uh, main channel? Yes, okay. main history channel here. Okay, so... In 1886, the Rocky Fork Coal Company set up a coal mine operation at the foot of the Beartooths, and this area later became the birthplace of present-day Red Lodge. Meanwhile, on the other side of the mountains, miners struck gold, leading to the establishment of Cook City. You had coal on one side and gold on the other. Yes, but there was no way to get through. Well, they could go up over the Beartooths. But there was no road. No, there's no road. Okay. So by the 1920s, over 4,500 people were living in Red Lodge, but an increasing reliance on natural gas and cheaper and easier to access coal deposits in the area caused the coal mines to shut down during the early part of the decade. So unemployment rates soared and the city was on the verge of collapse. Now on the other end, Cook City is doing better. Their silver, copper, and gold mines were booming, but they had to find a way to ship the ore out of the mining district. That was a problem. The mine owners had to haul the ore over a 60-mile road to the railroad in Gardner. And of course, that's a route that took them through a section of Yellowstone National Park. And these transports were destroying the park road and interfering with tourist traffic. So all parties involved had a vested interest in finding an alternative solution. Wow, that is fascinating, Karen. Okay, so there's a little bit more. All right. Okay. What happens next? <laughs> so for much of the 1920s, proponents from both Cook City and Red Lodge lobbied the U.S. Congress to fund a new approach from Red Lodge into Yellowstone National Park. And the emphasis was placed on 
the benefits of being able to haul timber and ore and access the riches of Cook City. It wasn't so much about creating an entrance for tourists to enter the park. That was less of a selling point. So the debates over this proposed roadway went on for years, and the idea of connecting these two cities seemed like it was doomed. But... But but for those those Cook City riches, yes, they, they had to get the riches. Some, they had to get the riches out. Out, yeah, mm-hmm. get those riches out. Surprisingly, the highway's fate was sealed in the wake of the 1929 stock market crash and the Great Depression, when President Herbert Hoover signed the National Park Approaches Act in 1931. The route between Red Lodge and Cook City was the first park road to receive funding. That is. Fascinating. Yes. So the contracts were awarded (laughs) five months later, and construction on the roadway began that summer. And despite the grueling conditions, treacherous terrain, two deaths, and logistical and engineering difficulties, the $2.5 million roadway was completed on schedule in 1936 for slightly less than half of what the federal government had expected. And yeah, and that was the last federal government project that ever came in under budget, (laughs) 1936. There you go. (laughs) Right. So when this road opened, visitors came from as far away as California and Maine to be among the first people to take a trip over the top of the world on June 14, 1936. Back then, an average of 400 vehicles were traveling the new roadway each weekday. And then, of course, the numbers soared to well over 1,000 per day during the busy times. Well, I am so glad that the workers endured the grueling conditions to get the Cook City riches out of Cook City and not take them through the park. Exactly. And you can imagine, I'm I'm guessing this was a similar engineering feat as going to the Sun Road, right? Yeah. And in places, it is really pretty amazing that somebody looked at that and said, oh, we'll just just put a highway up that cliff, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially on the red log side of it. I mean, it looks like a mountain that just goes straight up, but you wind your way and uh, yeah, they, they managed to put a highway in there. They did. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. So uh, so let's talk about, for a minute, the towns on either end. So a lot of people who visit Yellowstone have probably been to Cook City. When you exit through the northeast entrance, there's the tiny town of Silvergate and then Cook City right after that. Yeah, if you're driving through there in the summertime, Cook City's bustlings. Uh, there's only about 84 people who live there full time. And of course, in the winter, when they close the Beartooth Highway, uh, that dwindles, that the traffic in Cook City dwindles because it's a dead end. Right. We have actually stayed in Cook City. There are a few lodging places and a few restaurants. It is tiny. It's only about, I don't know, maybe two blocks long or so. Uh, We stayed in some cute cabins, though, and we really liked that because the Lamar Valley is one of our favorite areas of the park, and that provided easy access for us just to go in and out and hang out in Lamar Valley. Right. It is small, 
Um, uh-huh. But it bustles. It bustles with the people who stay there. And we've actually been there in the winter too, because in the winter time, the only park road that's plowed is that road through Lamar Valley to Cook City. And so we were there one Christmas with our family. We drove on Christmas Day, we drove through Lamar Valley through the snow. It was beautiful. We ended up in Cook City before we turned around. And there was one restaurant open in Cook City because it was part of a lodge that was open. That was great because on Christmas Day, that was our Christmas dinner. So I think that was the Soda Butte. Was it the Soda Creek? It's Soda Butte Lodge. Yeah. So that was that was a fun Christmas afternoon. Now, on the other end of the highway, Red Lodge, uh, Montana, this is a much bigger town than Cook City. It's a darling, western-looking, historic town. Again, when we're there in the summertime, it's bustling with people. They have Old West-style saloons and restaurants. They have boutiques and art galleries. There were multiple outdoor stores that we went in. And Red Lodge has a population of about 2,500 people. And it was fun to go there during a national holiday. We were there over Memorial Day, and they had all the flags out, red, white, and blue, very Americana. Yes, and we've driven through there on the 4th of July weekend also, and they have the flags up lining the uh, six blocks of downtown or so. And it does have this feeling, this really charming small town feeling, all-American town. All-American town. Mm Mm-hmm. There are a couple of places where we've eaten that are fantastic. We always get pizza from the Red Lodge Pizza restaurant there. Mm -hmm. We take that to go, and uh, the pizza's fantastic. Yes, and there is a brewery for all of uh, you beer fans, the Red Lodge Ales Brewery. But there are actually, they have a lot of little um, watering holes, if you want to call it, bars and saloons, and they have some good restaurants. So pretty much whatever I think people like, you could find it in Red Lodge. Right, and a couple of good outdoor gear stores. Mm -hmm, So if you're on your outdoor adventure and you need something like fuel for your jet boil, you can get it at one of the outdoor stores. Right. We always stay at the Alpine Inn. Now, this is it's nothing fancy, but it's um, spotlessly clean. The owners are really nice. They cook, they make a home-cooked breakfast for their guests. I think it's it's a charming place to stay. Some people, when they go up over the Beartooth Highway in that direction, they just keep on going and stay in Billings or somewhere like that. If it's late in the day, just stop at the Alpine Lodge and spend right. the night there. One note to all of you who travel with your dogs, uh, this is not a dog-friendly hotel. There are no dogs allowed. So just note that. Okay, switching gears, let's talk about wildlife. Yes. Okay, so we have never seen wildlife, have we? We we haven't. None. <laughs> we're, we're, we're prepared for it because yes. we've hiked a, a, a little bit in that area, and we're always worried about grizzly bears. We are, because it's definitely bear territory. Now, I did look up the wildlife in the area. I had to read about it online since we haven't actually seen any, but there are grizzly and black bears in this area, and also elk, deer, moose, Bighorn sheep, Rocky Mountain goats, mountain lions, and bobcats. And we've never seen any of those. Not one. No. No. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're not by the road. Right. But definitely, definitely, if you are hiking or camping in this area, you will absolutely need to have bear spray. So one question that a lot of people might have is, is the Beartooth Highway scary to drive? And to that, I would say... 
Only if Karen Smith is driving. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> then it becomes a white knuckle drive. We can put that on our white knuckle drive episode. It's a white knuckle drive for everyone in the car and anyone driving anywhere near our car in any direction. <laughs> that is not true. I have a spotless driving record. Just some random strange things happen when you are sitting in the passenger seat next to me. You hit a canoe on the highway. <laughs> Driving 70 miles an hour in traffic. That's one of the random things that happens. Okay, so this is why it's a white knuckle drive. (laughs) You know, I don't think this was the question. The question was, is the Beartooth Highway scary? And? And the answer is, I don't think it's a scary drive. There are some drop-offs, but it's never, certainly never dangerous. You do have to be cautious. You do have to watch your speed especially around corners because there's a lot of blind corners. But I think if you take your time, stay in your lane, you're going to be fine. I agree. I did not find this scary like a lot of other white knuckle drives we've been on. And and I think one of the reasons is because there are guardrails along the places where there are steep drop-offs. Now, there aren't there are not guardrails the whole length of it, but where they need to have guardrails, <laughs> there are guardrails. You know, everybody has a different level of um, of fear, right? I think if people don't like to drive next to and look down at these steep drop-offs, they might have a problem. But I think for most of the population, this is not considered a scary drive. Yeah, I would just say that we've been on scarier drives. Much scarier. Th- than this. Right. Yes, so you just need to uh, pay attention and, you know. Yeah, take your time. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a well-maintained road. And uh, if you're going up there and there is snow in the forecast or it is snowing, you got to be aware of that and, and make sure that you have proper tires for that because, you know, it could be July or August and it could get snow up there. So just be aware. Well, exactly. And I would not want to be up there in a snowstorm or if it became foggy. We've had that experience on going to the Sun Road. And that is frightening even when there are guardrails to not be able to see you know, more than 20 feet in front of your car. So yes, check the weather. um, And maybe if it's going to be snowy and foggy, you want to avoid this. Right. Okay. One of the things that I love so much about this drive is how um, the landscape changes from where you start at either end. It doesn't matter as you climb to the top. It goes from these lodgepole pine forests up to this alpine tundra. Yeah, you get above tree line. Mm-hmm. And when you're at the top of this road and for most of the top area, there there are no trees in most places. There there are few hardy trees that have survived the environment up there, but mostly you have wide open views because there's not a lot of vegetation. And in late June and July, this tundra area has just a ton of wildflowers, and that would be cool to see. And it's fragile. So, yes, you can hike anywhere up there, but uh, if at all possible, stay on a trail. Absolutely. And also, I don't know if we mentioned this before, but as you're taking in the view, there are 20 mountain peaks that are over 12,000 feet high. Yeah, and since it's it's a 360 view, you're mm-hmm. going to see anything within, gosh, I don't know, maybe 100 miles, you're going to see those peaks. Yes, it's incredible. And and as I said before, these little alpine lakes that are dotted throughout, it's really a magical place. It really is. 
So let's talk about some recreation. What do people do up there? Well, one thing people do is summer skiing. This past weekend, we saw a lot of people skiing up there. That's a pretty extreme activity. We don't do that. Yeah, we don't do that. But a lot of people do. So this is near the summit of Beartooth Pass. It's called the Beartooth Basin Summer Ski Area. It's one of the oldest alpine ski areas in the country. Obviously, it's only open to the public in the summer once the road opens. So there are two high-speed lifts that will bring you back up the hill. And this little ski area um, is pretty bare bones. There is no lodge. There is no equipment rental store, no warming hunt, no place to buy a burger or a beer. (laughs) No. And the website says advanced, intermediate, and expert skills required. So I guess... All of those. The only one they left out is beginner. So this the skiing is definitely not for beginners. And when you look out there and you see these runs that they're doing, yeah, I, I think uh, expert skill is probably the correct uh, the correct rating yes, yes, guideline. I, w- I, w- I would say they're double black. They look double black to me. Yes, it seemed to us as we were driving past that you know it's a lot of the local people, right, who live in Red Lodge or who live in Cook City, and they wait, they wait and wait and wait all winter for the road to open, and then they come up here and they do some early summer skiing, and it did look like a lot of fun. It looked like what you do is you you get to the top of the mountain, you make a run down. And then you either hike up or take that little tow rope up, and then you party. We saw a lot of coolers out. A lot of people had grills next to their um, cars and vans, and they were cooking out. So definitely looked like a fun time. And dancing. There was a lot of dancing. Oh, there was some dancing. We saw some dancing. We did see some yeah. dancing. Yeah, yes. joy, joyful <laughs> event. All right, so we don't do that, but no. uh, that's something that, that you could do if, if, if you're into that. Right. Now, we like to hike, but one other thing before we talk about this hike we did, I just wanted to mention, so people also go fishing in this area, they go boating, and they um, camp. So there is a lot of recreation, but we wanted to mention this really great hike that we did up there about, what, two years ago, maybe? Yeah, we were there end of June, maybe even July 1st. I'm not sure exactly the date. We hiked the Beartooth Lake Loop. So there is a lake called Beartooth Lake up there. It's a fairly good-sized lake, and, and it has some parking and some camping right right there in and around it. But there's also a trailhead where you can hike back further into the wilderness. It takes you back to some alpine lakes, and it does make a big loop. Um, there, there are quite a few trails back there. So you could, if you had the right map, you could kind of make your own loop if you wanted, but we did the loop that was about eight miles in length. And it's only a thousand feet of elevation change, which isn't, you know, which isn't that much, but remember you're hiking from 8,900 feet up to 9,900 feet altitude. So you're up there. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to feel the altitude Mm -hmm. if you're not used to it. Right. And also, there's a lot of water up in this area. There's lakes and streams. When we did this eight-mile loop, we crossed, I don't know how many streams. And when we say cross streams, there were times where we had to really look at it closely to see if uh, it was shallow enough for us to get through. And there were, there were times when it was mid-thigh and, in, in some cases, running pretty hard. Also very cold. It was cold. Yes, it was cold. (laughs) The the water crossings were all at the beginning for the most part. And we did this clockwise. We did the loop clockwise. You can obviously go in either direction. 
we did not know what to expect. We didn't know there would be these water crossings. And then we didn't realize after we were done with those and we started climbing up a little higher in elevation, there was snow on the trail. And there was a, there was a big section where the trail went through these kind of these smooth granite rocks. So there wasn't... Um, there wasn't a well-marked trail and there weren't any cairns or signs. So honestly, the only thing that got us through this hike without becoming lost in the wilderness is that you had the trail on your Gaia app. Yeah, the guy helped a lot. That's mm-hmm. one of the times where it saved our lives. If we do this again, we definitely have to do this hike again. What I would do, I would just strap snowshoes on the back of my backpack. Because you get to a couple of snow fields and you don't know what's below those snowfields. And I'm always worried that there is a creek running under the snowfield, which in a lot of cases there is. And I just don't want to fall through the snow and into a creek because you might never see me again. Right. Yeah. So I would take snowshoes and that gives you a better chance of floating on top of the snow instead of um, sinking down through it. Right. Or definitely um, micro spikes would have helped too. We did not have those with us at the time, but those would have been helpful. One other thing about this hike, we we climbed up probably, you know, the thousand feet. And then all of a sudden we had this view of this chain of little alpine lakes and surrounding on the backside of these lakes were these granite hills, right? Yeah, knolls. Knolls. They Thank knolls. you. They were knolls. One of the most beautiful sights we've ever seen in our life. We had no idea it was going to look like that. So I think this might have been one of the most beautiful hikes we've ever done. Right. The only thing that uh, we've done that I I would compare it to is the enchantments in the state of Washington. Mm -hmm. If you want to go see spectacular alpine lakes in a wilderness area, that's the place to go. Now, the window to go do this is, is not very long. It's the height of summer. I saw some YouTube videos of some other alpine hikes up there. Uh, There was Beckler Lake and Glacier Lake, and those were also absolutely beautiful. Just one note, as we've already kind of said, the man who filmed these videos was there in mid-June, and these lakes were still frozen over. So I would wait, because the beauty is in seeing that kind of turquoisey blue water. I would wait and probably hike July, August, September, later in the season when when the ice has melted and you can actually see the lakes and the snow is less also. I think some people get turned back because they hit really deep snow in June. So not a great time to hike up there. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Okay, and as I mentioned, uh, camping, this Beartooth Plateau area, which is Shoshone National Forest, has a couple of really great campgrounds. There's Beartooth Lake, Island Lake, Crazy Creek, and Fox Creek. All of these campgrounds are first come, first serve. Uh, No reservations are taken in advance. Yeah, so that's for all you campers out there who want to spend the night up there. So Karen, how to see this? So when you're doing your road trip, if you are not coming into Yellowstone through Red Lodge and driving it, or you're not leaving the park and, you know, exiting through the northeast entrance, if you just want to see the Beartooth Pass when you're visiting Yellowstone, you could take a half a day, go through Lamar Valley, see that, drive the Beartooth Highway, and then turn around and go back to the park. 
Yeah, I think that's that's perfectly fine. You don't have to just go through and keep going. Exactly. Plus, seeing it from both directions is cool also. And I just wanted to mention that if you're just doing that, a good turnaround spot is past the summit. It's called Vista Point, and you'll see it. There's a large parking area. There are some bathrooms. There's a gorgeous overlook. This is, um, but this is a little ways past the summit and the views are great. So don't, I guess what I'm saying is don't stop at the pass and then turn around. I'd suggest going a little further to that um, Vista viewing area. Yeah, that is if you're going from west to east towards Red Lodge. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say that you're probably going to want to budget about three hours driving time. Like if you're going from Yellowstone to Red Lodge, because you're going to want to stop. Well, that's just it. You know, if you're just driving through and you never get out of your car, it's not going to take you that long. But there are so many overlooks that you're going to want to stop at and take photos. So, yeah, budget that much time. And if it takes less, then it takes less. Yeah. And if you're going to go out and back, um, you can add to that. I don't think it's going to take another three hours to get back to Yellowstone if if you're going out and back. But once you get up there, you don't want to be pressed for time because... You're going to be wowed <laughs> and you're going to want to stop. And, and, you know, in some cases, you just want to sit there and look at the view. And it, it, it would be unfortunate if you were in a hurry and couldn't stop and, and look at the views. Exactly. One thing you could do when you're ready to leave Yellowstone, you head out through Lamar Valley, see that area, you know, save that for last, go out the northeast entrance drive the Beartooth Highway, spend the night in Red Lodge on the other side, then the next day, drive the Beartooth Highway back in the other direction, and turn off to Cody and drive the Chief Joseph Scenic Byway and take yourself down to Cody. Um, Again, Chief Joseph is another incredibly scenic drive. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic plan, and we've done that exactly. And this is one of those rare situations where the drive is the activity. I mean, it, and it is worth it. it. It definitely is. And, you know, when you go all the way to Yellowstone, which truly is one of the most magnificent parks out of all the national parks, and then you add on this scenic drive, uh, which is equally jaw-dropping, then I think you've seen the best of the best of the best. All right. Thanks for joining us today. At some point, we're going to do an episode about other scenic drives in Wyoming. The more we explore that state, the more we're blown away by its beautiful scenery. We saw some new areas on this last trip as we followed the Oregon Trail through Wyoming in preparation for our Oregon Trail episode, which will most likely come out in August or September. But next week, we'll be talking about some remarkable state parks, and we have another handful to put on your list of places to visit. Including one we visited last week where we walked in the footsteps of dinosaurs. Way to sell it, Karen. (laughs) 